You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Groff. Known for his performances on stage, television, and screen, he is a recipient of such accolades as a Grammy Award, two Tony Award nominations, two Drama League Awards, a Drama Desk Award, and a Primetime Emmy Award. We loved him on Broadway as King George in Hamilton and Melchior in Spring Awakening, in film as Kristoff in Frozen, and on TV in Mindhunters and Glee, and so much more. He is also an awesome guy and a real philanthropist, supporting so many charities, including Broadway Cares, LGBTQIA plus rights, and the Entertainment Community Fund. He produced a Spring Awakening reunion special on HBO as a charity benefit. I'm so happy to have him here today to chat about doing good in the world. Jonathan, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Jan, I'm so happy to be here. As you know, I'm feeling like uh, first of all, that intro was so beautiful, and I feel like you might have given me more awards than I actually have, but you know what? I'll take them. Take them. And, <laughs> and uh, I like, I, I, it's funny because I always, I get like nervous or I get self-conscious or something about the word philanthropist because I feel like there are act people that are actually real career philanthropists and activists. And I am throwing my hat in the ring and volunteering in as a pinch hitter in certain moments. But uh, I'm excited to talk to you today about all of that. You do such amazing work and so many people that you've had on this podcast have done such amazing work and I'm just happy to be a part of the conversation. Uh, well, thank you. And we're going to call you an everyday philanthropist. How's that? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, the, the like, the average philanthropist or the the wannabe philanthropist. I think you're more than that. But so how about we do this as a little warm up? How about if we do some rapid fire questions um, and then we'll get into talking about your social impact and charitable work? I love it. I love a rapid fire. Okay. What are three words that you think describe you? Hmm. Optimistic. Uh, is, is hard working one word? It's fine. You can hyphenate. We'll, we'll call it one word. Yeah. 
Okay, great. If you knew that a meteor was going to strike our planet, what would be your last meal? Ooh, the first thing that's coming to me is I would I would go back to my waiting tables days at the Chelsea Grill of Hell's Kitchen, which is no longer there on 46th and 9th, but I would go back and I would get their penne alla vodka with chicken. Mm, sounds good. If you could be part of any fictional family, whether Broadway or film or TV, which family would you want to be a member of? Excellent question. A fictional family. Okay, I think I would be a part of the, the like, <laughs> I, I don't know if I would choose, like, I would want to live in her, like, apartment building or if I would want to work at her television studio, but either her work family or her friend family of Mary Tyler Moore on the Mary Tyler Moore show. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> How did you know? I know. As soon as you started saying like her apartment building, I just went right there. I was thinking about throwing my beret in the air. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Where's your happy place? Oh, um, I've got two. It's uh it's on a bicycle driving uptown to go do a play is, is one happy place. And my second happy place is my dad's horse farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, what is your most used emoji? The dancer emoji. <laughs> <laughs> what do you most give a damn about these days? The first thing that's coming to my brain is trying to be clear and honest and specific when communicating. I need to practice that too. What are you most grateful for today? My mom. Mm. I wish my kids would say that. I wonder if they would. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about that big word philanthropy. It's really, if you break it down, there's so many ways, philanthropy, charity, doing good, giving to others, you know, so let's not get into the headiness of the word. But it seems to me from, you know, talking to people about you that philanthropy or doing good or giving back is part of your DNA. And I just wondered what your history was about giving back. And I wondered, is this something that you saw modeled when you were growing up? Or is this something that you think came to you later in life? I mean, I guess the kind of extreme throwback answer to that is my dad's side of the family is Mennonite and... In that kind of conservative religious community, I certainly observed a lot of sort of like uh, watching out for each other in within the, the Mennonite community, but they also would take care of people in need a lot. And I guess they would look out for themselves and for others in that sort of in the most beautiful version of a church kind of way. Mm -hmm. And then I would say... Funny, when I was waiting tables the first month that I was uh, at the Chelsea Grill of Hell's Kitchen, Tom Viola came Wait, in. I would just stop right there for one second because literally okay. my next question was, I had lunch with Tom Viola last week. Ah, <laughs> no way. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going to segue here anyway. So I'm so glad you're talking about it. But let's tell the Tom Viola story because you were a server at this diner. You met Tom Viola. Tom said... And I quote, and I'm sure he'd be okay with this, that he was flirting with you, um, but that he also gave you some advice and it changed the course of your your direction um, to some degree here in New York. So tell the story, it's such a good story. 
Oh my gosh. It, the, also, it's so beshared that that I just brought that up and that was your next question. Obviously, Jan, we're very aligned. I love so that this, you use the word beshared. You know, you I'm know, a good Jew. I, yeah, that's I good. Picked up some things along yeah. the way from the Mennonite community <laughs> to here. Um, and I also did not know that Tom was flirting with me. I had no idea. But at that age, I was also in the closet and very kind of appearingly like seemingly asexual um uh or at least thought that i was so i had no idea that tom was flirting with me the part of the part of the story that tom viola does not know that i'm about to share with you right now that i've actually never talked about before is that my first week yeah it was actually my first week in new york that i met tom because i was awaiting awaiting tables uh it was maybe my maybe my like first, second or third day, he came in and we spoke, I guess he was flirting with me. I didn't realize my voice is cracking as I think of it. <laughs> and uh, he told me about Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. And he, you know, he said, you must be an actor. Yes. And he talked about that organization, the good that they did uh, for the community. And also he talked to me about how they had volunteers standing with red buckets collecting money and if i was a young actor and i was wanting to kind of get my foot in the door literally you could watch the second act of of broadway shows by signing up as a volunteer and so the the volunteering aspect of the organization plus the fact that i could see theater got me super interested so he invited me to come in for a meeting to to their offices the same day as this meeting, and this is the part that Tom doesn't know, was the first time I had my I had my first kiss with this guy that I had a crush on from my hometown, who ended up being my quote unquote roommate uh, because I wasn't out of the closet for three and a half years. But I had my first kiss on this day. It was sometime in in either October or the beginning of November of 2004 and he had come over to the apartment I was living in and that happened and then I was like I have to go I have to go meet Tom Viola at the Broadway <laughs> and I remember walking in and meeting him and feeling like my entire body was on fire and I was like levitating through the offices of the of of BCEFA uh that day because of what had just happened and then kind of just being blown away by what they do. And I was really like at 19 years old, just like, oh, my God, this is I moved to New York and all of this is happening. I'm kissing a guy and I'm learning about this charity and I'm going to be standing with these buckets. And it was a very memorable moment in my life. Well, now it's Pride Month and I hopefully, you know, we're in a different place than when you were 19 years old, you know. The other thing, um, which I think is funny, is that if you Google Jonathan Groff, the one of the first things that comes up is Jonathan Groff wife, Leah Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that, I laughed, but I also, um, you know, I, I, um, I thought that was a perfect segue to talk about Spring Awakening and this benefit concert that you produced that became a subsequent HBO special supporting the Entertainment Community Fund, formerly known as the Actors Fund. Um, and um, I guess by the time this podcast is dropped, 
We can also say that there was a performance on the Tony Awards and that you guys have done some amazing work for um, for the Entertainment Community Fund. Um, so tell us about how that whole thing happened. And by the way, I've watched it three times. I'm not kidding either. And um, we were huge Spring Awakening fans, my daughters and, with, and me. And um, so I took my tweens to go see Spring Awakening on multiple occasions. I know. Um, okay. My motherhood choices are maybe not the best, but <laughs> my kids totally will. Totally the opposite. The coolest mom ever that you brought your t- tween-aged kids to go and see Spring Awakening. I mean, that that is, I bow down to you for that. Is that, that is, that could be potentially life-changing and or life-saving um, because those conversations that that show starts. I mean, even just by bringing them, you're to that show, you're allowing them the opportunity for a conversation, whether or not they want to have it or if it makes them feel weird or whatever. But the fact that you're opening that door by bringing them to the show is just amazing. Well, thank you. So little story before you talk about this. I um, I took my kids to see Rent when they were very young. And um, I think one of them was six and the other was like eight or something. After we saw the show, we saw a matinee and then we went to go get our nails done. And we're sitting in the little nail salon and my kids are drying our nails and my kids are talking about the show. And my little one says, I get it. So there's girl, boy, love and boy, boy, love and girl, girl, love. Everybody loves. And I just went, oh my God. Yes. I was so proud. And then this woman, this is in Scarsdale, New York. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt, kicks out her chair and she says, oh, you are the worst mother ever. And I sat there thinking, no, actually, I think I was the best mother that day. So, Oh, wow. Absolutely. And that like, and you know, when we're talking about activism and there's those, there's those amazing organizers and, and people that really, and, you know, influence legislation and set up events and, and all of that, there's also this flip side of it, which I, which I do feel like everybody can do, which is in take, like in your personal life, executing activism. Mm-hmm. And that is such a perfect example of that. And that is really beautiful. And even in that moment of of resistance, holding your ground and feeling great about saying that and standing with that is is also beautiful. Ah, well, well, thanks. I got a little shit for taking them to Avenue Q too, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, let's get back to Spring Awakening. So, how okay. did the uh, reunion concert come to be, and um, and how did you work with the um, Entertainment Community Fund on that? Lauren Pritchard called me in January of 2021 with two things. She said, we need to do a 15-year anniversary concert because everyone's schedules are open because it's COVID. And the second thing she said was, we need to do it as a benefit because all of the people, some something for all the people that have been suffering through this pandemic and we need to raise money for a great organization. And we threw around a lot of different ideas with the whole cast and with Michael, our director, and Tom and Ira, our producers. And we landed on the Entertainment Community Fund for many reasons. Uh, one, one sort of in a, a practical standpoint, they've done a million benefits and are so great at organizing them and executing them. So they had kind of a a a... a infrastructure within their organization that was going to allow us to do it kind of seamlessly. Um, And then most importantly, they had given at that time, and now it's more $24 million over the course of a year and a half 
to everybody in the entertainment community that had lost their jobs or, or were suff and or were suffering because of uh, COVID. I mean, on a personal level, I mean, even even pre-COVID and I'm sure post-COVID, I've had friends that have gotten their therapy because of the entertainment community fund. Um, Krista Rodriguez has been very open talking about the fact that they paid for her cancer treatments mm -hmm. when she had cancer and, and was out of work. I, a dear friend of mine needed a lawyer to help her get an apartment in New York. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on of, of how they've changed people's lives uh, in, in our community. So we did it as a benefit for them. And uh, then, you know, it, there's also this kind of grand thing as far as the, the show itself, Spring Awakening, and Lauren also talked to me about this in our first conversation, that the show itself saves lives because of what we're talking about in the show as far as abortion and suicide and abuse and depression and the way that that parents and adults should be communicating with young people and supporting young people mm -hmm. and all of those issues that the show brings up um we wanted to to shed light on uh, the power of, of of spring awakening itself which outside of being an amazing work of art kind of is an amazing work of art because it it addresses all those things in such a head-on beautiful uh way so it, there was there was there was a real kind of mission in bringing the show reminding everybody what the show is about and and that is also part of what what we're so excited about with the documentary is that it it's this document forever of of the power of this play it's so much it's so relevant today almost more than 15 years ago you know or back in yeah. germany and whatever that was 18th century or so 19th century germany yeah. 1891 18, yeah. yeah um yeah. but yeah and the documentary is so incredible right. it's just it's beautiful it's fun it's um it just it felt so good to watch it um there were parts where i cried but there were just parts where i just felt the love that you guys all shared with each other mm -hmm. and it was important there were a lot of very important things that you talk about I want to talk about Hamilton. Um, Lynn is a good friend of, of both of ours. Um, but I really, you can't talk about Hamilton and not talk about your performance as King George. And you also can't talk about Hamilton and not talk about the fact that that show has made and makes philanthropy a part of its mission. And you were part of that transformative experience. You know, the whole idea of what is a legacy? What is your legacy, right? And the show has supported so many different causes from the Eliza Project to arts education and just even making history, um, you know, more accessible and relevant to, you know, kids who are at risk. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, just the Hamilton experience and, and especially in terms of some of the causes that um, were supported through, through the show? I mean, Lynn, to me, it's all about my, my experience of that show was because of Lynn. Brian Darcy James had to leave the show off Broadway and he texted me and asked me to be a part of it. When we moved to Broadway, I shared a dressing room with him, basically. I mean, we, we were sharing, like, what was Idina Menzel's waiting room for If Then was my dressing room. Uh, we shared a bathroom. <laughs> uh, he was in her dressing room. Um, and he is such an inspiring, I mean, talk about a philanthropist and an activist. He sees opportunities and takes them. And I mean, this this guy is so generous and so giving and so brilliant. And I feel like it's so rare that an artist that can write something like Hamilton also has the mental space and the heart space and the, you know, to be able to do all of the charitable work that he does. 
and that show and that company uh, politically. And, and like you said, Morgan Matayoshi and Philip Asu put together the Eliza Project um, because that that orphanage is still active today. Mm -hmm. And so we, a bunch of us, obviously came in there happily to do like an arts experience with them. But that was really Morgan and Pippa that started that. Um, and there's been so many like splinter units of Hamilton from the Broadway company to the companies all across the world mm -hmm. uh, performing it. The generosity continues and it's just incredible. Speaking of Hamilton, I have a question. I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but this has nothing to do with philanthropy. You're on stage for like nine minutes during the show, right? What do you do? What did you do for the other, like, what is it, 150 minutes or something? Do we, do we want to know? <laughs> <laughs> I would say there was like three phases. So I would say for the first third of the time that I was there, it was watching the show and a lot. And I did continue for the entire experience to watch the show, but I did it less, you know, for, I would say for the first like third chunk that I was there, I was watching the show every single day. I would go into the box or when we were off Broadway, I'd stand in the VOM. Uh, the, at the public in the Newman. And then when we were on Broadway, I would go into the box um, and I would peek behind the curtain with my in my cane costume and everything with the wig mm -hmm. on. And I would be standing in the box watching the entire show when I wasn't on. I did that every day on Broadway for months. And then I would say the second, third phase was reading all the books that I had on my list that I had never read or or even like new books i remember reading a little life backstage and leslie odom jr had already read it and i finished that book and i went down into his dressing room and wept into his neck oh. um i wanted to read the agony and the ecstasy ever since i went to florence and wept in front of the david and i bought it and i and I, that was right after i left spring awakening so i finally read that book so there was like a big chunk in the middle there where i was reading books and then I would say the last third of the time that I was off stage, as as the as the show wore on, it, it became <laughs> it became ritualistic hangouts with with different members of the cast. Okay. So gradually, as everybody got super comfortable with the show and in their tracks, my I had a beaded curtain door, so my door was literally always open uh, in my dressing room, and people would come through the beads. Uh, ritualistically so then it so i would say the last third of the time i was there it was a non-stop um hang train with <laughs> people and hanging out in my dressing room that sounds fun so i want to take a step back and talk a little bit more about just causes that you support and okay. i wondered you know how do you decide oh this cause is important to me and i want to support it like do you do research are you triggered by something are you reading something in the news? Are you, is it personal? Are your friends asking you to help? Like, how do you, I mean, there must be so many requests for you to do stuff or how do you make that decision? Cause there's only so much Jonathan Groff to go around. I would it's a really good question. I would say I'm still in this phase where I'm searching for the cause for the cause capital T capital C that I that I will invest a lifetime in. I'm just, I still haven't I still haven't found that perfect marriage, sort of like relationships where you're kind of waiting for the one. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the for the one that 
that I can kind of like give most of my time and resources to um, in the market for that. So putting that out there on this podcast, I would say in the beginning when I first moved to New York and even, you know, starting to perform and starting to gain um, notoriety, I would say yes to absolutely everything. Uh, and then I sort of extended myself too much and, and, and was like, oh my gosh, I'm singing at a benefit every Monday. I'm, I'm going to lose it, mm. <laughs> lose my voice or lose my sanity. And, and so now, now I approach it like I really try, and this is the same with, with scripts or projects or whatever, uh, an offer comes through and I really sit with it and I think about it and I, and I really think about what I know that I can personally bring to something that is unique to me. And so that's how I'm kind of aligning at the moment until I, until I find that kind of perfect marriage, I'm sort of taking opportunities as they come and trying to feel it out as I go. And when I was working on um, this show on HBO called Looking, it was the first time I was playing uh, out, I was out of the closet um, as myself, and I was playing a gay character in a show that was really focused on gay storylines. And so I met with some people, um, some some activists before the show came out to get their advice on what I could do, how I could engage with the community in a meaningful way. And I got the same feedback from all of them, which was, you know, let the activists, let the career activists be the activists unless unless you know you're really ready to take on a lot of stuff but but their perspective was the most important thing you can do as a as a person that has a voice because you're an actor is just to continue being honest with mm -hmm. your story and so even even like i like an example of that would even be at the beginning of this very interview you asking me the question of tom viola and me having like a split second of, do I tell them? Do I tell, you know, do I tell Jan about the fact that that was so tied in with my very first kiss and my first relationship? And and not holding back that information is part of my goal. Uh, you know, I'm not always doing it, but it's I'm trying to 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 be as open and and share as much of my life as I possibly can as a as a form of activism by by just sharing my personal experience. That's beautiful. And thank you for sharing that and for trusting me and the listeners. <laughs> of course. How do you decide like, oh, I'm going to write a check for this, or I'm going to lend my talent, or I'm going to lend my name, or I'm going to actually do some sweat equity and like work a phone bank, or hey, I'm going to create an HBO special. Like, how do you decide what how you're going to actually be philanthropic it's so funny i keep thinking of the same with artistic projects i follow my gut so it's always different sometimes the the organization will really speak to me in a very deep way sometimes the person asking uh is is really meaningful to me and i want to do it because i just believe in everything that person does and so like i would do anything that lynn ever asked me to do uh we, we all like do glenn... <laughs> yeah we all do exactly um actually so we all do whatever louise tells us to do lynn's dad <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah uh yeah exactly. 
So sometimes it's the person. It's like the person that does the ask. Sometimes it's related to the organization. Uh, for the example with Spring Awakening, that the the idea to do the concert came first, and then we paired the organization with the with the kind of creative project that made the most sense. So it it sort of I guess depends on the the experience. That makes sense. I, I was reading another interview, um, which is very much in line with what you've been talking about. You gave some advice and you said that you shouldn't let people put you in a box and that you shouldn't be limited by the definition that others have of you. I think you were talking about being an actor, but to that point, I think that's similar to what you're saying about picking a cause that's important and that you can be multidimensional and you know, care about a lot of different causes, right? Yeah, Jan, you're actually kind of inspiring me right now to think a little bit more out of the box, to think about like things that aren't even related to what I do that I'm that I'm passionate about. That's gonna I'm gonna make a mental note of that as something to think about. A dear friend of mine came on the podcast. His name is Dan Pilata, and he's a true activist. Um, he is a consultant um, on on all kinds of social impact. He started the AIDS walks and breast cancer bike rides and such. Dan came on and Dan felt very strongly to your earlier point that everybody should do research and should really figure out what is this one cause that they want to be married to. And they should just put all their money and all their time and energy, he mostly meant money, to that, toward that cause. <laughs> Other people have come on and said, you know, I care about hundreds of things so I can give a little bit to a lot of people. Um, or I can give, yeah. you know, I can do something like, give my time to one, I can write a check for another. So I don't think there's any right way or wrong way to do it. But I do think, to your point, it is about, you know, where's that point? What, what, what do you feel in your gut? You know, what are you passionate about, right? And, and it is similar to how probably you would evaluate a script, um, right? Because that's what speaks to you. Yeah. And, and I guess also knowing where you are in your life and what what you're feeling like you have the time and space for and what you're feeling connected to at that moment. And, you know, maybe I, maybe, you know, hearing you talk now, maybe I never will find that one specific thing. Maybe I'll continue to have three things that I feel really passionate about or 15 things that I feel really passionate about. I like that idea of, of not being boxed in. That was your advice. So I'm just I'm, throwing back your own advice to, to you. <laughs> Okay, great. Thanks, Jan. I'll take it. Um, you know, it's always hard hard to follow your own advice. You also said that people should follow their joy. Do yeah. you follow your joy? I do. It really, like, it's funny because I was driving in my car yesterday, parking in the at the grocery store in Pennsylvania, and I was thinking, like, I think thinking about we're preparing this, preparing a couple of things right now, and and we're also part doing this. Spring Awakening Tony Award performance. And I was just thinking like, as time goes by and I and I start to learn who I am more as the years go by, I feel more, even more invested as I get older. It's like, I, I, I guess maybe I expected that I would feel a little more disconnected from things as I got older or, but I, I do feel like following my joy and following like the, a passion whether it be creative or philanthropic in a way, um, I get I get more lit as time goes by, which is really exciting. And I think I think it's it's easy, and I've certainly felt this, it's easy to become complacent or it's easy to kind of 
flat line out. And so I'm always creative, creatively at least, trying to figure out what the next spot to grow in is. And having this conversation with you on this podcast is actually inspiring, inspiring me to think, what is like, how can I, how can I evolve and grow charitably as well? And I don't know if I know the answer right now off the top of my head, but talking to you about this is exciting because it's making me think about what that next phase could be. I think about it too. You know, I, I was, I was trying to think about if there was one cause that I, you know, would be extremely passionate about. There are too many, but like, I guess intellectually, I was thinking that mental health would probably be the most important for me. I mean, climate change, I think, is a given just because. Yeah. But if you think about mental health, it affects so many other things that are messed up. You know, you would be impacting yeah. substance abuse and homelessness and bullying and LGBTQIA plus and like, you know, suicide and, and so many things are depression, anxiety. I mean, you know, women's rights, everything is like tied up in mental health. So I was thinking like, that's like such a good one. That's a meaty one because it could have such strong impact. So I'm doing research on that one right now. Oh, I love that. I feel like mine would be because especially in, 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 you know, we've done so much time reinvestigating what spring awakening meant to all of us. And, and there really is so much power in giving young people the opportunity to express themselves in the arts at a young age. And that also, I mean, mental health is wrapped up in that as well. Mm -hmm. And just that I'm thinking about like my parents were jocks in high school and they still, they still talk about those games, you know, those, <laughs> those, those basketball <laughs> games that they had and the bonding and the, and, and, you know, they don't, maybe say it this way but but when i listen to them i think like the self-expression and the way to to deal with disappointment and the way to deal with losses and wins and losses and all of the teamwork and all of that and i think about myself growing up and a lot of my friends growing up that are not physically or mentally suited for sports and the arts really can be yeah same <laughs> the arts really can be that form of self-expression and when you're young I mean, thinking about the character of, of Moritz uh, in Spring Awakening, who ends up committing suicide because he just, he's got too much happening mm. inside of his brain and his body and he can't figure it all out. And if he could have been given a microphone to sing the way that he can, you know, back, you know, this, this opportunity of self-expression can really save lives. So I think mine would be something to do with the arts. Yeah. What advice would you give listeners on how people could become sort of, again, I'm going to use that word everyday philanthropists or activists. To me, philanthropy or being a philanthropist isn't about like, you know, sitting, you know, in a 50th floor of whatever building you're living, your doorman, doorman building, but in writing a check. It's about just, you know, giving back. It's just about being yeah. kind and, and being, you know, human. And I just wondered what advice would you give people? I went to see the Dalai Lama speak at like, it was a universal studios hilariously in in california maybe 10 years ago or something and i remember him saying something along the lines of if we all today if everyone in the world decided to it's something it wasn't this exact obviously he was way more eloquent something about if we all decided to behave peacefully today there would be world peace it's as simple as that mm. we all just made that made that choice 
And that was a revelation for me to hear that. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, yeah, this is so major. That's so true. And then we were leaving. It was packed. It was sold out. And we were, and this woman was sitting next to me and she was really like, mm, mm, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> she was really giving, giving like good audience member, like, woo, you know, really just like in it, like it was really resonating. And then she was so rude <laughs> when she left the seats. She was, she was like, uh, really, uh, elbowing her way out of there and 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 so impatient and so annoyed uh, it was so funny uh but i was thinking like yeah, okay all right the dalai lama said that and this person is aggressively trying to get out of this theater and now i have the choice now i have the personal choice to be annoyed by this person or to or to feel empathy and love for her. And so it was like, it was an immediate test mm. after hearing that. And so I, I tell that story, I guess, to say, we really, it's it's these little moments in our everyday lives, I think. That's what, at least that's what I try to do based on moments like that or what, what, the, what the activists were telling me before looking is there's actually just so much power in trying to be empathetic and generous in the day-to-day -day moments. That is a perfect way to end this podcast. I can't think of anything I can say <laughs> after that. Thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of this. And we'll definitely have this conversation about our future philanthropy. And and uh, I, I'm also looking, you know, so. Thanks, Jan. Those are great questions. And it was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, editor, and friend, Jim Lochner. And thank you to everyone at BPN, including Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Kimberly Garris. I'd also like to thank Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency and Eric Becker from Broderick Street Music. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit vpn.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.